As always, we have so much to talk about and analyze with our powerhouse roundtable. So little time. Introductions first. Let's tell you who's with us this morning to break it all down. Welcome to Carlos Lopez Cantera, who served as Lieutenant Governor under the Scott administration. Before that, he was a state representative from Miami and served as the Miami-Dade property appraiser. Mike Abrams is a former Democratic state rep from Miami, former chair of the Dade Democratic Party, and recently in some op-eds, a party critic from within. That was always interesting, mm -hmm. and welcome. And welcome, and, and we should And happy Mother's Day to the women in your life who allowed you to be here. <laughs> happy morning. Mother's Day, Mom <laughs> and Renee. <laughs> there you go. We also want to point out that our friend Mike Abrams is mentally acute, but his voice <laughs> is a little diminished because he's fighting a cold, but we're glad you're here, Mike. Well, and Carl's glad to have you here. You've been here as a guest, but uh, first time on the roundtable. So let's, be let's begin with the fact that Governor DeSantis came to South Florida on Friday, went to a very impressive, I was there, he went to a, an impressive Seventh-day Adventist school mm -hmm. in Miami Gardens, uh, the Kerwin Junior Academy, very, very nice place, signed the bill, the Family Empowerment Scholarship Program vouchers, so that about 18,000 kids, low and middle income kids, will get vouchers to go to private and religious schools. Correct. Is this a good idea? Well, I've always been in favor and a believer in educational choice and competition. And this bill creates that program, but also uh, applies the funding mechanisms to the existing uh, Opportunity Scholarship Program. And uh, for the local school districts, actually loosens some of the requirements, some of the, uh, the red tape for their construction dollars. So there's some stuff in it for the school districts, the traditional school districts as well. Yeah, but Mike, the, I mean, I think the question here is, you well know, because you were in the legislature, I guess, when Jeb Bush tried to pass a similar bill, mm. and the state Supreme Court said, you can't do that, that's unconstitutional. Right, but I don't think we could expect the same relief from this uh, state Supreme Court. We all know Governor DeSantis, DeSantis had three appointments to the Supreme Court. I think all the Democratic leftover appointments now are gone. So I would suspect this Supreme Court would be sympathetic to the idea to of school choice. Yes, yeah. That's, you, I do. The, you know, the big question, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and, and we focus on public dollars for private right. schools. But, but this is the fifth voucher program that the state is using, and they're working. I mean, the, the statistics show from reputable education uh, think tanks that the children whose families use them and choose the school do well, do better. And, and so constitutionally, how do you work around that? Well, from the big picture, it's not a zero-sum game. I mean, if you look at uh, enrollment numbers, they've continued to increase. Per-pupil spending has continued to increase. It's not like ev it's not for every one student that, that leaves saying? the public school system and takes those, those per-student dollars with them to a private school is going to leave a vacuum or a hole to fill. There's plenty of students in the public school system, there's plenty of students in the charter school system, there's plenty of students in the opportunity scholarship system. There are plenty of students in Florida and there are more and more every day and having more options, parents having options for their children's education is a good thing and it's playing out in the, in the statistically. But a lot of, a lot of the, the criticism is that you're defunding public schools to fund private schools, but, but is that an either or question? 
Well, I mean, there's clearly a finite amount of dollars available for education or anything else in the state budget. And this is kind of like creeping socialism. The campaign, uh, rather, uh, school choice has been growing over years. It is a part of Republican. Wait, explain door. that creeping socialism. What do you, what do you <laughs> yeah, mean? I don't well, understand yeah, that. Yeah, I don't that one. Well, I, I don't mean that it's socialistic. I mean that I was just borrowing the term of art. You know, this whole notion that we have to create a parallel education system by giving more and more students choi choice, yeah. that is a concept that's growing and expanding. Originally, it was funded by corporate dollars. Now it's being partially funded by public dollars. Uh, uh, Pico dollars now is avail are available, I think, for capital use. Look, the jury's out on whether this is a good thing. And if the public education system was working the way it was supposed to be working, uh, I, I don't think this alternative would have, would have been created. So clearly there are problems that have led to this, but there are parts of this program that are concerning. It's interesting the governor chose the Seventh-day Adventist school. Mm -hmm. Does that yeah. mean that only students who believe in Seventh-day Adventism well, go to that school. Of course not. Well, no, actually, of he not. Had, it's the, possible. No, the governor well, had three different signings on Friday. Jump, Michael, Carlos, was the, um, Michael was in the Michael uh, was in the Miami signing, but there were three different signings on Friday at three different private yeah. schools and, in, and in a Florida, and but a, they were all different A rabbi, uh, Moshe Matz, who yeah. runs a consortium of Jewish day schools, was there. A, uh, a Catholic priest was there. I mean, there's a lot of support Mike, yeah. for this. Mike, you said earlier that we have to. It's not that we have to, so we should. We should create the options because, like you said, if the public school system was creating a premier education for every student in the state, then the uh, conversation of uh, an alternative uh, wouldn't even be part of the conversation. And what's happening here is, and this is what is often overlooked in these conversations, is these per dollars, like these 7,800 and whatever per pupil funding dollars, go with the student. So that money would have been spent on this, that amount of money would have been spent on the student if they were in the public school system. And now 95% of it will be spent on that yeah. student, that same student in a different school system. But it's still the same dollars following the student. Okay, but I, I, I think you missed my point when, or maybe I didn't articulate it well, when I used the choice of the Seventh-day Adventist school as a place for the bill signing. It is possible that students could take this money and go to schools that will not allow people, uh, uh, students of another religion, will not allow gay students because they're faith-based schools yeah. and they don't believe Fair that. point, accent. And, and, and okay, some of these so schools, you some of these private schools, not just religious schools, you know, they may, they have an option to turn away a student with learning disabilities or other problems, whereas the public schools, if yeah. you show up at their door, you will be enrolled. And private schools don't necessarily have to roll that way. Okay, and all I'm saying is there's something deeply troubling about that. Also, the requirements to teach at these schools are different, yeah. and the levels of accountability are, are, are different. And it does beg the question, did we over the years also fail the public school system, you know, by not funding appropriate teacher yeah. salaries? Yeah. Uh, look, there are a lot of imperfections in the public school system. 
I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I sent my first two children to public schools. My youngest, I decided that to a private did, school. Yeah, that I had to send send mm -hmm. to private school. But Mike, so, you know as well as anyone it, else that the the but, subject of teacher salaries can't be determined by the legislature. They can only fund a certain amount of dollars, and then the salary levels have to be by constitution requirement, collective bargained, at the local right. level between the school district and each county's union. So even if the legislature said each teacher shall receive a $50,000 pay increase, they cannot do it because it's unconstitutional because of the collective bargaining rights that the unions have that is enshrined in the state constitution. And that is something that is also yeah. left out of these conversations about teacher salaries. The legislature has tried to increase teacher salaries before, and then they've been rebuffed by the, the unions and the school district yeah. saying, no, we well, have to collective bargain well, it at the local level. And the, excuse me, the legislature in the session just ended added, I believe, it was $300 million for teacher bonuses. Which bonuses will be, are different. Which mm. are different, but, you know, it is more money for teachers one way or another. Anyway, hold your thoughts, gentlemen. We'll be back with more Roundtable in just a minute. Welcome back to the Roundtable. We like to say during the commercial break, you really ought to hear what we are saying. It gets interesting, but it's going to be interesting. Now we're with Mike Abrams of Ballard Partners and also a former state rep and another former state rep and lieutenant governor of Florida, Carlos Lopez Cantera. Carlos, uh, the governor issued his first veto mm -hmm. uh, ever, and it is of the bill that was going to prevent local municipalities from outlawing plastic straws. Miami Beach is one, I think, of seven cities in the state that had said, look, we want to be ecologically sensitive. Mm -hmm. We're going to ban plastic straws because they screw up the environment. Uh, kind of a surprise in a way. A big surprise. Uh, I'm Frankly, I'm surprised that the legislature didn't have some sort of uh, heads up from the governor's office saying, hey, there's either something in this bill that we don't like or we just don't like the bill in general. We don't like the idea of preempting local governments because it wasn't just plastic straws. That's what it was called, but it also right. preempted it, this issue of the, the family that couldn't have that garden of oh, vegetables in their the front, front yard. yard and yeah. Miami Shores. Uh, yeah. uh, issues of trees, uh, arborists, and stuff like that, and the, the, the types of tree ordinances that exist in different cities around the state. There was a lot of preemptive uh, issues in this bill. The straws was just one of them. And frankly, I, I'm surprised that uh, the legislature and the governor's office weren't on the same page on this. Thing. You know, the governor has done a lot of things in the past couple of months that indicate he is mindful of the will of the people. Uh, you know, what comes to mind, Amendment 4, restoring the vote to former felons. He, he was not for that. Marijuana, he was not for that. But he, as, as governor said, listen, this is what people voted for, and I, as governor, have to abide by that. No, I mean, I think he's been very strategic in picking issues where uh, he could moderate his image and not run too far afoul of... Uh, the hard right constituency that now seems to be controlling the Republican Party. And, so, Mike, and I give him points yeah, for that. Yeah. I respect him for that. He has the highest approval rating of any politician, elected official in the state of Florida, and um, I think he's earned them. I think in the first four and a half, five months, he has really shown a different kind of leadership than we have seen with all deference to your former old boss. <laughs> He's done very well. Uh, but I, I do think this veto, uh, uh, 
my good friend, uh, the former lieutenant governor, does have a good point in terms of whether the governor gave, should have given the legislature a head up, heads up. Maybe he didn't know he was going to veto it until he sat down with staff afterwards. But the veto itself is consistent with his pro-environmental stance. Yeah, it's so I don't, with say, I don't think anybody should have been shocked yeah. by it's it. It's definitely come a long way from that campaign commercial of uh, sitting there and reading uh, <laughs> the, the Trump book to his child or building saying, the talking about building the wall and the locks. Yeah. So yeah. That's, it's definitely far from, very far from that. And I think there's a lot of people in the state who are happy. Well, okay. one thing we'll agree on is he has a great lieutenant governor giving him advice. <laughs> she is a wonderful lieutenant governor. She's right. definitely doing a much better job than her predecessor. <laughs> <laughs> She's an impressive person and very, very strategic and and uh, shrewd, and I admire but Lieutenant she's Governor. She's a better human Jeanette, being. Yes. And uh, happy Mother's Day, Lieutenant <laughs> Governor. Right. If you're watching. Hopefully, so with your family. Can we, uh, can we bring it home a little bit? There's a there's a an issue that um, is in the news right now in internal affairs in BSO uh, that uh, our station and Laren, uh, one of our reporters. Um, had broken, and he talked to this woman named Tammy Jackson, whom you will see, who gave birth as an inmate in the Broward County Jail in solitary confinement last month. Um, the story she unspools of what she went through alone giving birth in solitary confinement is horrific. And um, the sheriff now, Gregory Tony, uh, has this internal affairs investigation as corrections is in his purview, Carlos Lopez Cantera, it, the jail system, of course, not set up as a healthcare system, but a very com an important component is healthcare and humanitarian care. W what do you make of what went on there? Well, definitely a horrific, horrific uh, scenario that uh, nobody should should have to endure. And for the for your viewers, uh, any any inmate that is 364 days or less is uh, responsibility of the county jail mm -hmm. system and 365 days or more the state uh, Department of Corrections. Um, but reading that story and, and it was a multiple hour labor. Uh, yeah, seven uh, hours. That she had. 3.16 a.m. to 10 a.m. There were screams that could clearly be heard by other inmates, other pregnant inmates. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. In, in that same area. And there's, there's just no excuse, really, frankly, uh, for the people who were, or the, the officers that were on staff that shift. Now, I think uh, um, the sheriff is, I think, out of his honeymoon period. Uh, Clearly. He's been in yeah. office since yeah. January. Yeah. Now, now, whether or not he has at, yeah. gotten around to changing leadership, changing policies, or ad adapting his, adopting his own policies for the jails, that's uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, he's going to do it now. But if we're going to hold him to the same standard that his predecessor was held to, which mm -hmm. is the buck stops at the very right, top, right, right. Yeah. then he has something to answer. I for. just Absolutely. let me let me just say I just realized Laren is a friend of mine. I never said Larry Livingston broke this story. So Laren Livingston is a reporter at Channel 10 who is uh, doing an amazing job investigating this. I want to get that out there. But Mike, the the um, contracted healthcare component of the Broward County jail system has some culpability here, I imagine. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure the resources aren't available. Uh, this is the intersection of two massive societal failures. The need to reform our prison system and to the, the need to recognize and address that we've got a mental health crisis in this country yeah. that crosses, you know, every 
every economic income line yeah. crosses all parts of society, and we're just not addressing it. And actually. we should point out that um, uh, Ms. Jackson, by her mother's account, is bipolar, may have other mental health issues, mm. and had addiction issues, which is not to justify anything. This was just an incredibly inhumane situation where mm. for seven hours she cried out for help and Bruce. she didn't get it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, quick break. We have uh, more roundtable coming up. Stay with us. We are back with the roundtable with our friends Mike Abrams and Carlos Lopez Cantera. Carlos, you spent eight years by the side of then-Governor Rick Five years, excuse Five years. me, with uh, then-Governor Rick Scott. Now he, of course, in the Senate. And he has become, I take it because of his several trips down to Colombia and to the border with Venezuela and went to Argentina, he really has become a strong advocate for uh, aggressive U.S. help, humanitarian aid for Venezuela. Mm -hmm. But now this week, Friday, in the Washington Post, he wrote a strong essay where he all but called for U.S. military intervention. Uh, what is your reaction? Why Is this the Rick Scott you knew? Well, let's just say that uh, the very first uh, that I can recall event that Rick Scott did on Venezuela, I was there with him. Uh, we did it in Doral along with yeah. Senator Rubio and... Um, I was there. I remember you that. You were there. You yeah. were there. I, th mm -hmm. I don't know if you were there. You were not there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's for um, sure. And this issue is, you know, that was five years ago. So mm -hmm. fast forward five years, not much has changed. It, it, can, it, it definitely something that frustrates. I mean, just look at the Cuban-American community and the Cuban exile community. They've been frustrated for 60 years. Yeah. Well, what, excuse me, what did happen is Juan Guaido yes. appeared on the scene and a legitimate opposition formed, and yet Maduro will not let humanitarian aid into a country where of 30 million people, well, at least a million people need the medical aid, need the beans, the rice, mm -hmm. the other supplies. So yes, we understand why Senator Scott is frustrated. And he's not the only one, Michael. No. I mean, there's a lot of frustrated people uh, in the Venezuelan community, in the, oh my goodness, in just in America, frustrated with what's going on with, uh, with Venezuela with Cuba, to an extent what's happened in Nicaragua, and... You know what was really interesting, though, is when the senator first broached military use, it was for humanitarian, to, to bring the humanitarian supplies across the border that wasn't getting through. And even the suggestion, his suggestion of using the military to bring supplies, made a lot of people, including our other senator, Marco Rubio, say, well, you know, uh, stop for a second putting a military across the border, even in a humanitarian sense, is a sign of aggression to many people. Oh, for God's sakes, I mean, the American people should be cynical about any suggestion of the American military involvement, um, especially if it's cloaked in humanitarian reasons. We are so badly overextended around the world. We got Americans, and this was one issue I happened agree with President Trump on when he was a candidate. You know, we have Americans dying in countries that most Americans never heard of. Um, we've, uh, we can't take care of our veterans. Uh, there was a report the other day that there are 6,000 incidents a month of veterans who suffer PTSD <laughs> attempting suicide. So this cavalier notion of sending troops to another country uh, just doesn't make sense now. 
if the OAS supported it or if it was the United Nations mission right. and, it, there, you know, we had broad diplomatic support, then perhaps we would want to be part of that kind of effort. Well, the problem is you have countries like Venezuela on the on the um, human what's the, the name human of the rights commission. human rights commission of the United Nations, which yeah. is a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. You know, yeah. the, uh, the, senator the also largest violators are on this commission voting on on human right. right issues. When he was here, Rick Scott was here in um, Southwest Dade for an appearance not too long ago, and on Venezuela, and he he used the word genocide going on there. Is that is that a word that you might use to describe the situation? It's, I wouldn't call it genocide. It's a, that's a strong word for what's happening mm -hmm. there. Um, but by no means is what's happening there good in any way. I mean, it's a horrible situation. It's, it's people are starving. Ethnic, people are, it's people are literally being yeah. run over by uh, yeah. state-owned mm -hmm. assets, by Maduro's military, who are influenced, strongly influenced by the Cuban intelligence services as well. So, you know, what's going on in you, Venezuela is absolutely horrible. People are dying simply because they are trying to seek yeah. freedom. They're trying to seek the basics, basic necessi human necessities that yeah. we take for granted every day. Things like food, water, toilet paper. The I mean, fabric of the infrastructure has yeah. Medicine, apart. yes, yeah. it's all falling it, it, apart. It, it, but his government should and will fall. You know, there's no question mm -hmm. that that's going to happen. And if you look at the historical curve since the Cold War, uh, Autocratic governments have fallen where there's been less U.S. military involvement, direct military involvement, right. than well, when we had I, troops I on, this, on the ground. May I, on this Mother's Day, one of my favorite philosophical quotes is from Martin Luther King, the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. So let's hope right. in Venezuela and well everywhere said. else it bends towards justice. Carlos, Mike, thanks for coming in. Great, Great to, to have, have you here. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to your <laughs> women. <laughs> Thank you.